Hello and welcome to Connected episode 273. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, Squarespace, ExpressVPN, and Bombas. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined by Mr. Mike Hurley. Did you get it right this time? I did. Thank you. Good work. Thank you. How are you? I am very good. Thank you very much. Good. It's, you know, it's the, the end of the year. There's like excitement stuff to talk about. I'm glad we're here together. And I'm glad that we are joined by our friend, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi. We should say also that there is a fourth, mostly silent person on the episode uh-huh. this week. <laughs> I, I, he can't hear us, but maybe you can poke him, make him say something. Can you say something? Hey, guys. How's it going? We can hear John. John can't hear us, I assume. Yes. Well, you can hear something through my headphones. Turn them down. But, um, you shouldn't right. be able to hear no, anything through your headphones. If, if, if he can hear through your headphones, your headphones are too loud. The problem is the headphones. Not The the, the volume is fine, but the, the construction of these headphones is faulty, I believe. They okay. leak volume. I, I noise gate you every week to fix they, it. They leak more than the White House, really. So Wow. Oh, my know. God. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Start strong today. <laughs> the okay. problem is not okay. me; yes. it's the headphones. Uh-huh. I think uh, I think that I think John deserves to be labeled as a guest on this episode. I think we'll do that for him. He was okay, there. Can, maybe he can be he can be the one word commenter on the maybe. show. Maybe, like seriously, <laughs> seriously, when we talk about the Mac Pro, maybe we just swap the two of them out. Oh yeah, let's do that. Oh, that's a great because idea. John otherwise, there will the... just be nothing. There'll be silence from Italy, so we may as well yes. just swap. Federico for John. Yes. Yeah, this is a great idea. I'll go make some coffee. Perfect. Yeah. Play with the dogs. Basically, yeah, you'll is... do all of the things that you usually do when we talk about new Mac hardware, but this time you'll be owning up to Well, them. you don't know about that. Well, actually, one time I did I did leave without telling you guys. I don't I honestly assume that that's what's happening. And yeah. like I did a whole thing around the house and then I came back and Steven was still talking. So <laughs> <laughs> that happened but that happened once yeah, yeah. Uh, usually i tell you guys if okay. like the ups guys here yeah mm-hmm. so we'll have john on john would you agree with this plan john excellent plan perfect okay we're we're doing this this is going so well mm-hmm. <laughs> let's start with follow-up and i think we can safely say that the year 2020 will be the year of Stephen two because well, you know because no. the rumor we're not allowing you to luigi this we have told you so many times <laughs> because... he doesn't he doesn't get the reference i don't no <laughs> luigi's the one in green right yeah yes good job dad thanks yeah he's the one who's like technically a different race to mario which is like this whole thing they are the mario brothers so mario's name is mario mario and luigi's name is luigi mario for some reason that's I, like i'm not joking Yes, That's, it's very upsetting. That is upsetting. Like, imagine if your name was Steven Steven or Hackett Hackett. Can you imagine that? That would I be upsetting. I don't want to. So they're, they're brothers, but they share a last name, but not for the reason you think they would. And <laughs> they're business partners in a plumbing operation. But they never actually do any plumbing. But they never actually... Mm, it's like know. a cover. And, and these days, Luigi is most famous for being a Ghostbuster. Yeah, or a super bad driver in Mario Kart, like super yeah. aggressive guy. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, why would 2020 be another, um, as you say, year of Stephen, which is this uh, terminology that we do not officially accept, but we'll let you go with it because you seem happy about it. Because the rumor is that the the iPhone SE2 or whatever this like upcoming entry-level, air quotes, low-cost iPhone would be, could be called the iPhone 9, which is something that I 
put forth as a theory several months ago here on this very program. And uh, I love it as a name. I think it's great. Mm. This, this is a rumor uh, over on Mac Rumors uh, that the iPhone SE2 will be the iPhone 8 form factor. We've talked about this, uh, but be called the iPhone 9, which I think makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. I still uh, I don't understand like the year of Steve. This is something you said, right, about the name? Yes. Okay. Well, and it, and it could be, I'll, I'll do this now. It could be that this is one of my yearly picks that's coming up in a few episodes. Oh, damn. So maybe wow. I'm uh, getting ready for that. But as precedent is set, this obviously wouldn't be Ricky because there has been previous reporting. Not a Ricky, but it could be a regular. You could if this if this article wouldn't have been published, that would have yeah. been a Ricky. Yeah, I who think. wrote this article? I need to have a word with. Well, them. it came from Mac Otakara, which is a Japanese yeah. website with dubious uh, credibility. Yeah, but Joe, via I know Mac Joe. Rumors. Joe put it on Mac Rumors. Come on, Joe, you're killing me. Could you not wait two weeks, Joe? Really? Come on, Come Come on, on. Joe. Anyways, Come on, Joe. um. Uh, this, uh, you know, I think this phone seems like a lock that they're going to do this. It's not going to to revitalize the uh, old four inch iPhone form factor. So those people, if you're still holding on to an iPhone SE now, like I'm really sorry, but uh, I think that's times passed it by. Sad, Federico. I feel like I'm losing my mind a little bit because I am very confident that your that you said last week that your awards would be this week at Max Stories. Am I wrong? No, they were. They were mm, never. Maybe I just assumed this. They were never this week. They were next week. Oh, is this one of those things where like it's not late because we didn't announce the date? That's right. You're, you're like Apple. <laughs> yeah. No. Hey, he just said. He just said fall 2019. It's you yeah. Know. Just like I, I just said before the end of the year, and mm. it literally could be the 30th. But no, they're, they're next week. Mm. Yeah, they're next week. There's a so we had two surprises planned. One of them. That we announced is that we're doing a reader's choice award. And if you're a Club Mac Stories member, you can vote. There's a link in the latest issue of the newsletter. You can vote and you can write anything. And then I guess John and I will sift through the responses and uh, uh, try to count them. I know I based on Mike's experience that, that <laughs> yeah, it's it's a I whole thing. I have a thing. spreadsheet. If you I, I, we hook, hook up with me later on and I'll give you that spreadsheet. Okay. You Thank need you. it. Trust me. It's very, it's very difficult. John, we need to ask Mike for the spreadsheet. Right. <laughs> 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 Can you create a reminder for that, John? He's laughing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the second surprise, which we haven't announced yet, but it will be revealed next week, which is going to be super awesome. They will be out. Um, they will be announced, uh, yeah, next week uh, around the... I don't want to give you a day because, you know, things can happen. And there's also like uh, my music bot uh, thing is going also up. That feels like vaporware. You point, talked about that for months. Come on, ship it, man. Mm-hmm. Do it right now. Publish it live on funny. the show. It's funny because you do have music. Box, I do have right? it, and it's incredible. It's so good. It, there's a lot of there's a lot of things in it, and uh, in fact, and this is kind of a somewhat somewhat related to that. Um, so, something that I want to do with MusicBot is to have the, well, you can call it basic shortcut. It's really made of uh, 800 actions. So, but yes, that's the basic version that will be available for free on the website for everyone to use. I've been working on this thing since July, really. So, it's, it was a lot of work and that will be available for free. Everybody can use it and download it, whatever. It's free. Um, but there will be a MusicBot Pro for Club Mac Stories members that does even more mm. and uh, that will take advantage of um, the Apple Music API and initially I thought um, 
I got to write my own API actions. And in fact, I did that. The, the last couple of issues on MacStories Weekly, I explained how to work with the Apple Music API. But just today, something happened that is going to make MusicBot Pro so much better. Toolbox, the app that we talked about a few episodes ago, the Shortcuts Utility, got updated today with Apple Music API actions. Sweet. Which means you can search the Apple Music catalog without having to generate your own developer token, which is something that I explained in the newsletter how to do. Uh, everything is taken care of by Toolbox. You just need to drag and drop actions in a shortcut and you can search the Apple Music catalog uh, for artists, songs, playlists, anything you want. And because this is a native app, it takes advantage of Music Kit which is the developer framework for Apple Music integration, to do things like adding stuff to your library or playing music in the background. So MusicBot Pro will have all of these features built in and you don't need to set up anything on your end. Initially, the plan was to tell people like, you can use MusicBot Pro, but first you got to generate your own developer token and now that limitation is gone. So if you download MusicBot Pro, just make sure that you have Toolbox installed and you got a whole bunch of extra features for Apple Music, including playing music and adding stuff to your library, which is pretty nice, I think. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of work. Oh, and also there's another music bot surprise that you guys have seen uh, yesterday, I think. So, yeah, I've been up to a few things lately. You're like Shortcut Santa over there. Mm. Yeah, you can call me that. I like I that. I will. I will. Uh -huh. Title fishing. Title fishing. As of this morning, uh, it's been announced that Bridge keyboards, which I think all three of us like, they make the uh, they make keyboards for other devices, but we use the iPad ones. They are now available uh, in the Apple Store, uh, which in the ten point two um, in the ten point five sizes uh, for the iPad and iPad Air, and they have iPad Pro sizes as well. It's a great keyboard if you use your iPad uh, for a lot of. Uh, writing and typing, it's definitely worth checking out. And I don't know, I just, I'm happy for them. Like, this is a big deal. And, you know, Bridge has been hard at work. I mean, updating this thing and having support for new models. And I kind of just wanted to give them a thumbs up for, for making it into Apple's retail chain. That seems like a big deal. I wonder why they're not doing the pro ones. Like, it's just the 10.2 and 10.5 yeah it may i mean it may be that uh it's a supply thing supply thing yeah. maybe they'll, they'll add those at some point um i don't know but it's uh it's great and so if you have you know an ipad air or you know maybe you're giving an ipad as a gift this christmas and someone's going to be writing on it i think this is a better option than the the magic keyboard if someone's really going to be a heavy keyboard user yeah i agree with that for all ipad versions that the mm -hmm. bridge keyboard is a superior product it's and great I'm eagerly awaiting their uh their version with a trackpad me too maybe that's why the pro isn't there maybe they're gonna i don't, I don't know anything i'm just it seems like they are from for everything that's been said about that remember from that weird lawsuit like it yeah. feels like bridge are gonna be selling that as like a very specific product because mm -hmm. it's 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 not user-friendly right like the <laughs> cursor support is not user-friendly it's, yeah, it's not great so you kind of have to already be a already expert user of the of this keyboard product. So maybe they're mm -hmm. going to keep that one a little more a, chill. A, a pro iPad Pro user, exactly. If you will, like everybody here, uh, I have a little bit of follow out, and it feels a little self serving because it's to another thing that I do. But let I'm me just... do it then. So on episode five hundred and fourteen of the Mac Power Users podcast, 
David Sparks and his uh, partner in crime, the Robin to his Batman, if you will, which is Stephen. Uh, wait, <laughs> wait, be- wait, 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 <laughs> wait. Do you not want to be Robin? What's wrong with Robin? Uh, Batman's way cooler. But David's been doing Mac Powers this for longer than you. Yeah, but we're equals. And so it's. Do you want to be like, uh, what's the butler's name? Alfred? That may be worse. Alfred. You want to be the Alfred to his Batman? That could be worse. Well, you decide which one of those you want to be. But there's a great episode. uh, It's with an interview with Thomas Grove Carter, who is a video editor. And Thomas had early access for a period of time to the Mac Pro and Pro Display XDR. Um, that you know, like Apple. I mean, Thomas in the interview jokes that like just him and Calvin Harris had it right. Like Apple seeds these things to to creative people, I guess, for feedback and also I I would expect so they can uh, give these people for interviews with like people like Mac Power users. So I think it's really cool mm-hmm. um, because you get to hear of somebody who's been using this product for a significant period of time talk about their experiences and i'm like a third of the way through the episode and it's really really good yeah it's really part two to our interview of doug brooks who's the product manager for the mac pro we got that at wwdc and yeah we've been working on this for a while and yeah i was really happy with it thomas was awesome really fun to talk to and i think we're definitely going to have him back to talk more about final cut in particular yeah you got an expert now in the field Yes, it was, and it was neat to uh, to be involved in the launch in, in our small way, and to be uh, mm-hmm. a podcast with sort of early access was really really special, and so we're really thankful we got to do it. And um, I'd go check it out. I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this, I think it's the perfect it. way to have this like a, a, a podcast involved with the Mac Pro because yeah. you know because it's like all of. The podcasters that I know that would buy the Mac Pro are doing it because it's like it, I would like to own it. Where someone like Thomas can get any kind of video producer really can get a lot of use out of that product. So being able to talk to a very heavy video user is great. As much as, of course, I would love to hear John Syracuse talk about his experiences immediately. Uh, sure. I think I can at least understand from Apple's perspective why they might have wanted to go down this route, as opposed to giving you and David a Mac pro right like they actually put you in touch with someone who could talk about it at like a more professional use case yeah thomas is really than just like this is nice is really pushing it right he i mean he's doing amazing high-end work and mm-hmm. so he can really speak to what makes it different and that was kind of the most interesting part of it for me was the thing the, the things that he says he can do now that were impossible before that's what's exciting to me about this computer we should talk about that computer a little later on today i feel like oh we're gonna right with john yeah, yeah, it's it's in here. But first, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, and then we have some other stuff, and then we'll get to the Mac Pro. It's coming, I promise. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, complete with a unique domain name, a selection of award-winning templates, and much more. Maybe you want to create an online store or have a portfolio or a blog, or one really neat part of Squarespace is their event calendar. So if you have events, you can set the dates and times and everything, and they roll off when they go past. Really neat section of what Squarespace can do. It's the all-in-one platform that lets you do basically anything you need, and there's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about. You don't have to worry about upgrades, because Squarespace has all that stuff covered. If you have any questions, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support, they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. 
I've used Squarespace for a bunch of different projects, and it is always my go-to because if I'm working with uh, somebody else, it means that I can hand it off to them and they can deal with the content and keeping it up to date because Squarespace makes that really easy. A lot of platforms make content editing sort of stressful or you're worried you're going to break something. Squarespace, it's really easy. It's all point and click. You can do what you need to do and move on with your day. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code connected to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com connected and the code connected to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. It is the week of software updates. I know this; it's unusual to have a software update for iOS 13, but Apple's finally pushed one. So that's exciting. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, Federico, what is new in 13.3 for uh, iOS and the iPad? Yeah, um, not a lot, but there's a few things that we could call out. Um, if you didn't like the inclusion of Memoji in the emoji keyboard, you can now remove them. Woo! I'm conflicted on this. You are? I'm conflicted on this. Yeah, let me tell you why. Okay. Every now and then, I like to use them, but I would forget they existed if mm. I didn't see them. Mm. <laughs> right. Right? They have been surprisingly... Uh, frequent in text messages from my friends i see them even a lot on, too even in whatsapp where like they're yep. not stickers they're just images but people uh, use them i sometimes send them in slack instead of an emoji it's just this oh, yeah? massive image <laughs> nice yeah so um obviously you know the 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 kind of audience that reads mac stories and listens to this show you know probably doesn't like them in the emoji keyboard and i get it like they're not emoji technically and like nobody asks you for those apple we just want to see the emoji in iMessage and i get it so there's now a setting if you go in settings keyboard you can now disable emoji and the emoji keyboard will go back to just showing you emoji um communication limits in screen time which i really haven't played around with because I don't care about screen time anymore. There was a time last year when I was really using screen time to check on my habits and whatnot. But then I realized that most of my problems were Facebook and Twitter. And so what I'm doing now is I don't have Facebook anymore on my phone and I have the official Twitter app, which uh, has basically kicked my uh timeline completionist habit uh i just I'm, I'm not obsessed with reading every tweet anymore so i really don't need screen time but you have now more options for setting up um limits for communication apps like messages uh that's all i have to say i really don't know how it works i really I think don't want to go through the process well, one of the things that's also pretty good i mean this stuff can be good for uh family like right. parent, parental control yeah, stuff because you can yeah. limit who can get through and who can't. But also if you're using it yourself and you're using downtime, you can now say like, I want to get messages from this person and, and like then they can break through, which I think is pretty useful. Mm -hmm. I think Gray will like it. Yeah, it seems mm -hmm. like a good, a good feature. And I, I'm just excited that they're doing things with screen time and not waiting until iOS 14, you know, that they're continuing to improve it because it it is a big deal. Like I've got you know, my kids have an iPad and I have the parental mm -hmm. stuff set up on it and the screen time stuff. And 
it's a little clunky in places and you know they they don't have an iMessage account or anything yet so i haven't come across that but it is uh it is exciting that they are continuing to improve it because it's, it's well really i mean th- these were announced 13 features that got pushed. Oh, well, I resend all that stuff. This isn't then. new. Okay. This was like a thing that was spoken about and, Man, and it if, kept getting pushed. If only somebody wrote a really in-depth iOS 13 review, I could have read. I, I would have known about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Security keys in Safari. So um, if you have a, a physical... Um, security key for authentication purposes on websites that support it. And these are the FIDO2 compliant, because nobody trusts FIDO1. So it's all about FIDO2 these days. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, know? what, are you a fool? Yeah, right. I mean, if you're using FIDO1, get out of Come here. On. Nobody can trust you. <laughs> That's not uh, a compliant FIDO2. model of your security. We all know this. FIDO2 compliant NFC, USB, and Lightning keys. There is a this great introduction to... Um, uh, physical security keys by Paul Stamatiu on on on, on their blog. Uh, really, really great article. I had no idea that these things. Can you imagine how few people have a Lightning security key? I bet it's like one person on the planet. So the, there's a co- this company called Ubico that they make uh, authentication keys, and they recently came out with the Lightning version. And uh, I've seen some blog posts about that when I did my mm. research about security keys but yeah it's it's a whole world right of like uh this is like an entirely different authentication framework it's supported by it's like a web standard uh it's supported by apple by google does and it it's work like, within apps as well as websites do you know it works with safari so if an app if an app uses safari view controller for example for authentication it should work right right but i don't think it's like a proper like iOS API the developers can implement in their own UIs, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think it's just Safari for now. And you've got to assume that there's like a Salesforce or an IBM mm, or whatever said right. to Apple, like, we really, yeah. we really need you to do this if you want us to continue with the iPad rollout or whatever. If you use Safari and if you use websites that support this uh, different authentication system, you can now plug a USB or Lightning key into your device or use an NFC-enabled one, and, you know, the system will log you in. And, but this is like a... Comp- like, I was fascinated by this uh, a few weeks ago, and I considered yeah. maybe I should try it out just to see what it's like. <laughs> but then I read about what the what, what what's required if you just want to, for example, switch your Google account to use a physical security key. Like, what happens if you change your mind and you gotta like call Google and it's yeah, like yeah, this feels a, like a one one time decision, really. Yeah, like yeah. so, like if you are the type of, but this is the thing: if you're the type of person who maybe because of your profession, maybe because of other you know political reasons, if you need this kind of more secure type of authentication, I think it's great news that Safari on iOS and iPadOS supports this. Um, so it's very, very nice to see this, uh, this feature. I'll never, I'm probably never going to use it, but, uh, I think it's pretty cool. And, uh, so yeah, there's, that's it. Um, I should mention, I should file an official complaint here on the show Yep. about, Uh-oh. uh, short. Yes. So we're going to talk about shortcuts later on a more positive note uh, because of, of an anniversary that occurs today. But before we talk about the nice things, I want to talk about the bad things. Um, specifically, 
iOS and iPadOS 13.3 have been, because I've been testing the beta, by far the buggiest and most problematic release of shortcuts for me in a while. I'm running into all kinds of issues, whether it's about uh, a complex shortcut, such as MusicBot. Mike literally just sent me a screenshot of mm-hmm. an error message that he got. And we should say Mike is the person who always runs into issues with my shortcuts for some reason. Like This is very true. And this is, I haven't done anything, all right? Everyone's like, is, oh, Mike's right. so stupid. He like no, puts his move on. No, he hasn't done anything. He followed okay. my instructions to mm-hmm. the letter. I did. There's, a, there's an initial setup process for MusicBot. It's the native option called by Apple import questions. It's a shortcuts feature. He followed those instructions and he got this error that says nothing. It says the file, quote unquote, shortcuts couldn't be opened. <laughs> now, what? My shortcut. <laughs> yes, the file. So I'm in he, shortcuts while, while they exit this error. Yeah. He's in shortcuts. He taps on the music bot shortcut and he gets this message that says the file, quote, shortcuts couldn't be opened. <laughs> now, my shortcut isn't called shortcuts. There is no file called shortcuts required by MusicBot. I have no idea what this error message means. This shortcut was created on 13.3, and Mike is trying to run it on 13.2. So there's a chance that that's an issue, but it shouldn't be. But even more than that, I've been running into all kinds of problems on 13.3 with shortcuts. Um, Every time I share a shortcut, I have to recreate all my import questions because they get reset every time I share a shortcut. So what I've done is I created an Apple note with the text of my import questions because I'm tired of writing them up from scratch every single time. Um, Sometimes I add a variable to a shortcut and uh, you know how you can tap on a variable and you can change its type? or its property, like if you have a variable and you tap on it, you can say, this is a, I want to use this as an image or I want to use this as a text. Sometimes I tap on it and the variable disappears. Like it, from the field, it just disappears. Um, I have shortcuts that um, take Apple Music links and run a, re- a very simple regular expression on it from the share sheet um, to extract a portion of the link. Uh, those are not working anymore when I run them inside the share sheet. Um, in MusicBot presents a list of options when you share a song or an album from Apple Music to the shortcut. And these options are like five options that say, do you want to save this as a favorite or, you know, stuff like that. Five options, not a lot. In 13.3, final stable version that came out yesterday, as soon as the list comes up, the shortcut crashes. And there's all, all kinds of issues like this. And I basically spent the past two weeks working around all these bugs from Apple, which I have filed. I'll let you know I have filed in all the uh, possible ways at my disposal through Apple you know, f- feedback reporter, whatever, feedback assistant and other, and other avenues. Um, I have done my job, but these bugs do not get fixed. 
And it's like Apple, you're making it really difficult for me to write about shortcuts and share shortcuts and, uh, you know, maybe push shortcuts to its limits. But the thing is, I'm not doing anything that is too crazy. I'm just using like MusicBot is all Apple made actions. No third party dependencies, no crazy base 64, nothing, just plain actions. And I'm you know, and I keep running into issues and it's getting worse. Like, I feel like it used to be better in the 13.0 beta this summer. And it's gotten worse through the multiple releases of iOS 13, which is sort of counter to what Apple is doing with these updates. So I don't get it. I don't know what is going on. I have some good news. It's tvOS news. The top shelf option can now be changed. So this means you can now change... Uh, you're with the Apple TV app. You're now able to in, in the Apple TV. You're able to change the the methods. So the up next queue is just a list of of like things that you can scroll through as opposed like the old style as opposed to the auto playing video. To do this, if you want to do this, I did this. It's great. Go to settings, then apps, then TV, and then you can change the top shelf option. So you can get the old Apple TV look back rather than the pre auto-playing video, which I just want to say, I just want to say about this. I do not like creepy or scary things. Like, I, I don't like creepy and scary TV shows or movies. Yep, Apple neither. currently has one, which is called Servant of Ben Night Shyamalan. I really don't want to see the, the trailer. I don't, I just don't want to see it. it. Creeps me out. Like, so just another reason to turn it off. I don't want to see auto-playing video whenever I've got my Apple TV on, and now I don't have to. Uh, Mac OS Catalina, the iTunes column browser, has reappeared in the music app. Oh my god, is, really? Yeah. Okay, okay, let's do this live. What is the column browser? How do I find it in, in music? Can't tell you that. Don't know. I don't what, run what, Catalina. What do I do here? Um, it's it's a way to view your out your artists and albums and music and all that kind of stuff. Jason Snow uses it. Marco uses it. I think it's just like a a more old school version where I think you get like a bunch of segmented views where you can choose artist and album. And it kind of like the like the column browser you find in Finder. It's kind of like that. I don't know how you get it, but it's in Music App now. It's impossible to find. I can't help you. So iOS 13 features that we don't currently have, shared iCloud drive folders, right? So like, as far as I'm aware, that's the only thing left. I can't think of anything else from 13 that they said they would ship that they haven't shipped except this. And I was kind of look, scrolling through Apple's iOS 13 website today, and that seemed to be the case. Mm, yeah, I think that's right. I think or at least the, that's the only oh, major wait, thing left. Um, well, it's slightly really uh, well. It's another files feature, uh, the ability to pin files. In yeah, the files I think app. it's any anything related to what is clearly an underpinnings change yeah. of files has yeah. not has not happened. I wonder if it will. Maybe who knows? Saga of iOS thirteen. They continues. said in the spring, right? Are they saying next year or in the spring? Uh, it uh, when I was on the iOS thirteen website today, it said autumn. Still, so that's by the end of the year, I guess. Mm. If they're sticking to that, all right. Should we change over our co-host and and talk about the Mac Pro? Yes, hold on. Let me do. Let me do the official passing of the torch. In this case, it's not a torch; it's headphones. Bye, guys. I'll talk to you in a bit. Bye, bye. This episode of Connected is brought to you by ExpressVPN. 
We all know how VPN can protect privacy and ad security online, but it can also take our media watching to the next level by unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries. That means you can use ExpressVPN to binge things on Netflix in the UK or in the US or in Japan, anywhere around the planet, because ExpressVPN's app lets you change your location very easily. Then you just refresh Netflix or whatever you're watching, and that's it. ExpressVPN hides your IP address so you can control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. Just think about all the streaming libraries you can get through. It's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with a bunch of streaming services, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, whatever you want. There are hundreds of VPNs out there. You can even roll your own. But ExpressVPN is super fast, which is what you want when you're streaming media. And it's compatible with all of your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want wherever you want. I've had ExpressVPN on all of my devices for a long time now. And they're not joking about the speed. It is really great to see how... uh, Basically, your, your connection to the internet it doesn't feel any different if you're on ExpressVPN or you're not. It's really quick. So if you go to this link, expressvpn.com connected, you'll get three extra months free with their one-year package. So support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com connected. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. It's Mac Pro Week, gentlemen. Finally. We have some links in the show notes to some stuff. We're sort of assuming that a lot of people have seen a lot of stuff. Uh, there were three YouTube videos that are worth watching. MKBHD, uh, iJustine, and Jonathan Morrison all unboxed and set up Mac Pros on their channels. I think all three are going to work on a more in-depth review. But even the packaging of this machine is bananas. Like the box is enormous. It's like held together with Velcro, Velcro. and has its handles. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's very cool. Yeah, that box that box is really something. It seems like it's made out of a material that's different than some of the other packaging for some of the other Macs, too, from what I could tell in those videos. It should be more premium, <laughs> that's for sure. I, su- I, I suppose so. Well, maybe it's more recyclable. Maybe. It sounds like it's really smooth, kind of a weird uh, soft texture or something, almost like a plastic is what it sounded like. I don't know. Huh. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if like they had to change something because they did they well one maybe needed it to be stronger and right. two because they were doing that velcro thing right like there might have been like different rigidity things that you needed to consider plus it's a very 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 heavy computer yeah 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 that yeah that was definitely obvious from the uh, the videos that it was people struggled to pick those things up mm-hmm. and get them get them get them out of the boxes yeah I have a question while we're talking about like reviews and stuff like that. Why do you think Apple gave every reviewer two Pro Displays? Because so the awesome. three reviewers, I, Justine, MKBHD, and Jonathan Morrison, they all got two Pro Displays. I mean, maybe they got one matte and one smooth, right? So they could see the difference between them. But like, that know. is, how many people are going to need, are going to not need, how many people are actually going to have two of these displays? It seems wild. It's, it's a lot. Thomas had two of them as well. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, if one, if the difference different finishes i'm not sure but i mean you can see like if i mean apple's really pushing that this is a computer designed for video editors and those people do want like a full-size preview and you know it kind of i think it fits with their narrative i don't think it means that apple assumes people are going to buy two of these displays with it but i'm not sure apple assumes that you're going to buy one display with it 
you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the demos like in at WWDC, a lot of them had two, right? As well, was that right? Uh, some of them did, and others were hooked up to like one, and then like a like a you know a 4K television on the wall. There were there were several different uh, scenarios, but I think two Apple. I mean, they they also sent those three YouTubers the 28 core machine. Thomas had the 16 core, I think, but they were flexing a little bit, you know, because they they want to show off the highest end, uh, you know, configurations where possible. So. I think it makes sense with the picture Apple's trying to paint, but you know, I don't know if that has any like real indication of is how the, people will use it. Is the twenty-eight core the maximum core amount? Uh, let's see. I have the page open. Let's find out. I don't like the update to the Apple Store app, by the way. Yeah, it's it's a little rough in places. Everything is way more difficult to find. Yeah, I found the same thing. Uh, yes, the twenty-eight core. It's a seven thousand dollar option in the United States. But mm, wow. that's that's the most course. Yeah, I mean, one of the things they did was they showed in I Justine's video. She showed off using the two displays where one had all the multicam views in one place, and then the second display was used to show the actual footage that she was creating. So I mean, that that's a use case for it. But you're right. I mean, that's that's an awfully expensive use case. And I also wonder if, like, I mean, this monitor is so much bigger than monitors people are currently using, right? So, like, maybe we could just do this with multiple windows. I'm, you know, because what is it, 32 inches? 32 inches. Which is bigger than most of the monitors that you would buy for a machine like this currently, right? Yeah, 27 is sort of the sweet spot, I think, for a lot of people. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's I think, I think it's flex more than anything. But it was fun to watch that and fun to, you know, it's fun to watch people set stuff up and talk about it. Yep. And all three of them shared some early benchmarks. Thomas shared uh, some some details on MPU about just how much faster it is at uh, at certain tasks. And if you're in Final Cut in particular and you're using ProRes, then it is shockingly faster, like in a way that doesn't really make sense. And, and that's because of that card, right? The afterburner card? Yes. Yeah, because the, uh, the Xeons don't have... Um, so the Core i5, i7, i9 have a component to speed up some video processing, and the Xeons don't. So actually under some uh, – so like I edit in ProRes and Final Cut, and under certain circumstances, my MacBook Pro can actually export faster than my iMac Pro because of this difference in the Core i9 and the Xeons. But the Afterburner basically blows all that out of the water, and it's just basically um, – I mean, it's an ASIC. It's basically just a bunch of uh, gates set up to make particular tasks as fast as possible. And so I think I think I said this last week. It, it would be interesting to see if Apple applied that to other things. Like what would an afterburner for something like Logic look like where you could do more and more tracks? What would it look like for other types of jobs? And so it, some video codecs, some things won't be – taking advantage of Afterburner. But if you are working in that type of codec, then it just destroys everything else on the planet, it seems like, mm. which is cool. Because there are PCs that are faster than this or as fast as this, and you can run Premiere on them, but the Afterburner is really what sets it apart, at least for now. And I would I would guess that other manufacturers may end up doing similar things to this. Red actually... I'm going to put it in present tense, but it may be past tense. I'm not sure. Red has some PCI cards that you can use to import and digest some of their video stuff on the PC side. 
but I don't I don't know how widespread that is, and and maybe this will be a, a way that people on the PC or using other codecs could benefit from kind of what Apple's doing as well. But it seems that even if you're not using ProRes, right? Because MKBHD does not use ProRes, and his editing, his like export or rendering speeds, his rendering speeds are just so right. much faster. Yeah, it's like twelve minutes on the Mac Pro and four and a half minutes on the yeah on the Mac Pro, the iMac Pro to the Mac Pro. Yeah, I think that's the core count coming coming into play and the amount of RAM probably. But uh, no doubt it's faster. It just under certain circumstances it's bananas faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some accessories. You know, the big thing with the Mac Pro is that you can open it. You can really customize it to what you want, what you need. And some of those have popped up uh, in the last day or so. Uh, the Pro Display XDR does not have an iSight camera in it. I saw people complaining about this, and I actually think that that's for good reason. I think if this is a, a display for people working in high-end production, you you don't necessarily want those devices to have cameras on them. It keeps the bezel thin and, and all that other other stuff. But Logitech does have a new 4K webcam. It sticks with a magnet to the top of the XDR, kind of like the EyeSight camera used to do. And it can be driven by both the 16-inch MacBook Pro uh, or the, the new Mac Pro. So if you have a Pro Display XDR for some reason and you need a webcam, there's an option uh, from Logitech. And I, I have the Logitech, the 1080 camera that a bunch of people have, and I, if I'm on a video thing, I even use it with my iMac Pro because it looks better than the 1080 webcam built into the computer. So Logitech builds good stuff in this arena, and I'd imagine that camera looks pretty good. There are also a, a couple of RAID options from Promise. One is a two-disc uh, array that sits at the very top of the Mac Pro. They promised oh, – oh, God, I can't believe I said that. I really didn't mean it. They they said that these were going <laughs> to be a thing, right? Like Apple said that there would be RAID stuff from Promise. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. just it's it, they shipped it. It's for sale now. So yeah. So there's a two bay and then a four bay that takes one of the MPX slots. They put they ship with spinning hard drives, three and a half inch drives. But I I would hope that you could adapt that to two and a half inch SSDs. Um, but yep, his uh, spinning hard drives are still way more affordable for RAID scenarios. And in that sort of setup, you just want capacity. So. It's uh, those are there. That is something that I am potentially excited about because I think a lot of people have big storage needs, and to bring that internally is nice. Uh, you can also order RAM, additional or upgraded GPUs, and then the afterburner card in kits. Something Apple's been talking about. Uh, the afterburner, by the way, is two grand. I had no idea what to expect that cost to be. So, like, I don't know if two thousand is good or not, but that's what it is. So you can uh upgrade these as as we as we talked about so it's good good stuff yeah it's expensive but the uh the graphics cards are expensive too i mean i think it's in line with those at least if you look at some of those they're like twenty eight hundred dollars for yeah you know the the uh the radeon pro vega so but again that's like is that expensive in the wider market like we're, we're comparing apple to apple in that right, right. like right. this is what True. apple's charging for this stuff whether it ends up being those prices on the wider market is like a different it's like a different thing because am i right like these the the uh the radeon vega stuff is branded like these are cars that are used elsewhere but they brand them differently when they work with apple yeah is that right they're branded differently and the big mpx cards are two gpus connected with infinity link which again you can do elsewhere those are kind of standard amd things but they're tweaked a little bit and then the mpx module is also using thunderbolt 3 internally for additional power and it mm-hmm. passes through thunderbolt to the back so depending on the gpu you have the numbers change but you have 
you know, HDMI, and then you have Thunderbolt 3, additional Thunderbolt 3 ports on the video card that you can use for data or or additional video out. So they are um, they're using Thunderbolt 3 internally in addition to PCI to power these things and provide more bandwidth. So you can go out and buy a regular video card and, and slap it in there. There's a header in there for power. But if you do go Apple's route, you get some uh, a nicer package and something that will take fuller advantage of what the Mac Pro can do. Were you surprised that they didn't have any like additional I.O. cards or expansions that Apple were making? I, I was. So the Mac Pro ships with a, a half-length, they're calling it the Apple I.O. card, and that has USB-A and Thunderbolt 3 on the back. And that comes just comes with the Mac Pro. I expected that you could just buy one of those outright. Unless I missed it this morning, you can't. So if you need more USB-A, you're going to have to break out somewhere or... If you wanted, uh, you know, just more Thunderbolt ports but don't need another GPU, you're kind of stuck. And so I, my guess is that someone, you know, OWC or somebody will ship a card that just gives you a bunch of ports on the back, right? Because PCI can just hand out to a bunch of different ports and you'll be fine. So um, I was hoping to see that because I think people who just use it sort of uh, without a bunch of GPUs in it may need additional I.O. and – Apple doesn't have a great solution for that currently. Uh, there are some sort of uh, what I'm calling weird details, just things that uh, jumped out at me. Uh, the first one is that the rack-mounted Mac Pro starts at $500 more and is, quote, coming soon. So it does come in a rack-mounted, put it in a server farm if you're, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're uh, the guys at um, at Mac Stadium. It's uh it's a viable option and way better than having a bunch of iMac Pros in a rack like they do now. So we don't know much about that machine. My assumption is that the specs are all basically the same and it's just a, a form factor difference and you're paying for that. But that's kind of unknown. And Apple hasn't given a date of when that might show up. The Mac Pro is a, is a pretty niche thing, but <laughs> the, the rack-mounted one is going to be extremely specific. I don't know how many of those they're going to sell. But if you need it, it's uh, coming soon. Along with other options, the eight terabyte SSD and some of the graphics card options, they're not they're just coming soon too, right? No date. Right. So the the eight terabyte SSD first showed up on the sixteen inch MacBook Pro. Apple had previously said the four terabyte will be the max for the Mac Pro, but they're gonna have an eight terabyte option. So again, we don't know when that is, but it is coming and it's odd to me that they couldn't get at least that going before launch, but who knows? Uh, but yeah, additional Radeon Pro, the W5700X will ship soon if you need that. We should talk about the price because that's what that's what <laughs> that's a thing with this machine. Many headlines, but I mean, but it's fun. I mean, like it's a big it's a big thing. You yeah. know, I I don't know about you, but as soon as it as soon as I saw that it was available, the first thing that I did was spec up one to the maximum. I think everybody did that, right? Like that's what sure. everybody used to do with the old Mac Pro, like the cheese grater Mac Pro. Like, how expensive can you make it go? And you can pass fifty thousand dollars with this. That's amazing. Um, and this isn't the highest price, though, right? Because I'm assuming that once the SSD options are available and the other graphics, you might be able to make it even more expensive. They're not going to reduce the current SSD pricing when the eight terabytes an option, right? It'll just add it to the top, right? Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun game to play, and if you need a terabyte and a half of RAM, that that's basically half the cost, isn't the terabyte and a half is. <laughs> It's really expensive. It's twenty five. Yeah, it's twenty five grand. That's that's wild. Apple is giving people options, right? And it's 
if you're the type of person who needs a terabyte and a half of RAM, now you have a solution that runs macOS. Yeah, I think it's great. Like, isn't this what everyone wanted, right? Like, I, I know that it makes it very expensive, but wasn't the whole purpose for this machine existing so people that have particular needs can now have them fulfilled? Like, if you need 1.5 terabytes of RAM, Apple now give you the ability to have that. You could not do that before yesterday. Like, you were out of luck. If you needed, for some reason, 1.5 terabytes of RAM in a computer, you could not use macOS to do it unless you were going to go with some like horrific Macintosh, uh, Hackintosh thing, right. right? But like, this is what was asked for. So this is what it is now, right? Like, you don't have to spend 22 grand to put 1.5 terabytes of RAM in there. Like, you know, like I know there's like a lot of question about like want and need, but like, I don't know, who even need, who, how, why? I mean, the the RAM specifically, I think, is for people who are doing like big data modeling or like scientific computation. A lot of that can mm-hmm. be handed off to memory so and like, is way faster. It is incredibly niche. And I think it's great that Very. even for these incredibly niche use cases, you can now buy a computer from Apple that you can put this hardware into. Like this is what right. the Mac Pro in 2020 should be, I think. I think you're right, Mike. I mean, it's absolutely something that it's exactly what we were told we're going to get in June. The thing I think is that shocks people still, though, is that that base model is like buying an iMac Pro, right? I mean, I know that when I was trying to guess what the highest price would be, I thought it might be like 25 grand, something like that. Yeah, me too. Me too. (laughs) Right? So we were were talking about that in iMessage, and and yeah, I thought it was going to be half of what it is. And and so it, it is kind of shocking, but I, you know, I'm not upset about that in any way because i agree there's there are use cases they're very very narrow use cases but now people have a machine that they can configure to be the most powerful mac on the planet to do whatever they they want and that's i think it's great that it exists yeah there's been some hand wringing as you would imagine and and i think this is as good as time as ever to talk about that if you look back uh, and I wrote a piece about this years ago. I will try to dig it up for the show notes about the starting price of the old Mac Pro, the the, the cheese grater, not the 2013. And right. you could get an entry-level Mac Pro in uh, – you know, not a great – not a great configuration, but one that started, you know, um, that started less and – you know, twenty five, thirty five hundred dollars, and and obviously you can't do that. Oh, this is why I couldn't find it. I didn't write it. Ed Cormody did as <laughs> a guest post. <laughs> but um, uh, thank you, Ed. It's it's an expensive machine, and it's a little bit of a bummer that there's not a sort of hobbyist price point entry level model. I think the specs on the entry level model show that Apple just couldn't do that, at least with this hardware, because the base. Mac Pro is a thousand dollars more than the base iMac Pro, and not as good, right? A quarter of the a quarter of the storage space, and a GPU that, at least under some circumstances, isn't as good, and that's and no display, um, and that's a bummer. I, I really was hoping before we knew the price that when this machine was theoretical, that there would be an entry level machine that a hobbyist could buy, or someone who just wants a tower. And they could build up on their own over time. And you can do that with this, but the price of entry is is really high. And that's a bummer. Like I I myself am sad about that because I'm interested in this machine. And if I want to buy it, then I have to spend a lot of money out of the gate where I would prefer to spend half that money out of the gate and then build it up over time. I just can't do that. 
However, John, I think your point is well made that this is a machine. Yes, while the price is higher than we expected, uh, it means that it can solve all sorts of problems for people that Apple just couldn't address previously and just couldn't do it. And right. that's fine, but it does mean that what the Mac Pro is and how people define the Mac Pro is different than it was 10 years ago. And I think the sooner that we all accept that, the better, right? Jason wrote this really interesting thing about want versus need and how if you just want it, that's fine, but most people don't actually need it. And like, I feel like that article has been used as a weapon on every side. Um, and even Jason and I have argued about it. Like, But I think that understanding this machine is really specific. And if you just need a fast Mac, you can spend a lot less money and get, in some cases, a better computer. That's just where we are, right? It's just different than it used to be. And while that's a bummer, I think it's time to sort of realize that this computer is what it is. And if it's for you, that's great. And if it's not the iMac Pro or even the high-end 5K iMac, it's a really good computer. The iMac Pro I'm sitting in front of is the best computer I've ever owned. It it should not be overlooked. Right. I, I find this to be a really cool computer that I think is really interesting to talk about, but I have no desire to buy it myself. When I was working on the story for Mac Stories about it, I specked it up and put it in my into the shopping cart and i've been never been so nervous that i might accidentally <laughs> click, click buy and spend you know i have to then explain to my wife that i just spent seven thousand dollars or or god forbid you know fifty thousand dollars on a computer that i had to somehow return but yeah it's 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 cool i en- i enjoy seeing what it's capable of and i'm really looking forward to more in-depth hands-on we got a little bit of a taste of that from some of the things like mac powers users with the with the interview and the videos that came out but i really want to see what the full capabilities of these different configurations really are yeah and and with the third party stuff i mean no two mac pros will be identical right like you can really do and right. that, that is Stephen john smith was tweeting about this earlier that is the case for a tower that you can have exactly what you need the complaint is you have to buy way more than you need to get the flexibility and that's something that apple just chose not to address with the system and they clearly think that if you need power but are on less of a budget, then there's there's other options. And that's not to say the iMac Pro is cheap because it's not, but they've decided to solve this in this way. And because Apple's the only company that makes hardware that supports Mac OS officially, then we have to make the decisions within that matrix. Whether we agree with the matrix or not, that's kind of how it is. And I found the arguments about it sort of exhausting because, like, what are you going to do? Like, if you want to run macOS, and, you know, people say that all the time, like, well, you can build this PC, you can have this laptop that cools better. Well, if you want to run macOS, and I do, that limits your options. And it, it puts you in a arena that Apple fully controls. And for better or for worse, that's how it is. You know, Stephen, you mentioned the wheels, and there's another tidbit about the wheels that I thought was really interesting, which is if you order the wheels, it's going to take an extra month for you to get your computer, which I thought was kind of humorous. Obviously, they, they, they didn't have the wheels quite ready yet, I guess, for, for shipment right away. That, sh- that slipped. Initially, it was basically the same date. So the, the oh, wheels okay. are $400. They cannot be added later. I had this funny idea of I was just going to buy the wheels and review them on YouTube, <laughs> but you can't do that. It seems like the, it seems like the frame. Put them on a skateboard or something. I, well, I was gonna like build a thing and then like put my cheese grater on it, but oh, that would have been good. Or the trash can, but um, the video will never happen. My assumption is that the wheels or the feet are actually different frames 
because Apple says if you need wheels later, you can go to an Apple store and get it done. And I would assume that it's oh. way more than $400 at that point, and they're going to replace the frame, basically build your computer on a new frame. I don't know that. I think iFixit will tear it apart and tell us if they're actually removable. But my guess is they're actually two different frames. And that's uh, – so you got to make the wheel decision at the beginning. And as, as I noted yet yesterday, if you want wheels now, it's um, delayed quite a bit. So yeah, if the way even Apple describes it on the website makes it seem like that it's an entirely different case, right? Because they describe it as like, do you want the case right. or do you want the case with the wheels? Right, and it's like it feels like it's a different thing. Yeah, I think that stainless steel space frame or whatever is two different two different parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can't add wheels later, uh, which is a which is a bummer. But I've been thinking about it, and I really don't know why you wouldn't get wheels, like. And let, if you're if it's going on the floor, yeah. If you're somebody buying this computer and it's going on the floor, I feel like wheels are a good idea. If you're putting it on a table or a desk, then don't get wheels, obviously, unless they lock. But look, I've seen this thing; it's enormous. Do not put it on your desk. <laughs> put it on. Put it yeah, on. Yeah, because I was thinking, right? Like it's big and heavy. If you had to like get behind it, it's like going to be a real thing to get it out there. But if you had the wheels, you can just pull it out. Yep. Like, yeah, it's, I think um, it makes a lot of sense to put wheels on it's a, it. It's a real question. Uh, I think the wheels being uh, backdated is uh, a sign that maybe people really do want them. Or I mean, maybe they only made six of them, right? Like, assuming they made the same number that people um, who are buying these want them, I think there is a real pent-up demand for this machine. If you look at the ship dates, they are sliding. People who have been holding on to old cheese graters or using the trash can or using the iMac pro who really need this. I think they're really excited. And I think those people overlap heavily with people who really will use the wheels because they are using these on set or in flexible, uh, offices that, you know, you're going to go to one editing bay than the other. And the wheels make that way easier. Moving on a little bit, the base Mac pro CPU uses slower Ram than the others and the terabyte and a half option is only available on the 24 or 28 core CPU. So that's those the CPU parts are slightly different from Intel. So something to be aware of. The Apple Store won't let you uh, make a mistake there. I tried. It's like you, you know, like you you have the CPU, so you, you're limited to this or that. So, um, but if you're upgrading later, of course, make sure that the RAM you buy is the RAM that matches uh, with your CPU. There is a uh, PCI. Utility that ships with the Mac Pro, the icon of that leaked a while ago, but the about this Mac window has been updated on this machine to show the RAM slots and the PCI slots, and it gives you directions for add-ons. These are three-channel systems, and so you can't just slap RAM in any slot you want because it looks good. You have to put them in specific slots, and as you add RAM, you have to do it in a specific order. And the Mac will help you through all that. So it will uh, show you what to do, which is good. And if you get it wrong, it will still boot and it will just give you an error when you log in saying uh, that there's a, a memory configuration issue and it will prompt you to uh, to fix it. So you, uh, it seems pretty idiot proof to upgrade these, which is nice because that wasn't always true before. I've got uh, both a G5 and a Mac Pro. You saw them in my, in my video last week or earlier this week. And... It was a little confusing. There's markings on the case of where to add the RAM, but you could totally overlook that. And then those systems would just beep at you if you got it wrong and not boot, and then you have to figure out what happened, which is not a good user experience, right? You open your computer, and then the next time you power it on, it just beeps and won't come on. That's scary. So they seem like they're handling it better now. Uh, lastly, the Pro Display XDR 
uh, there was a, a desktop about this yesterday about what computers can drive it. Um, the Mac Pro, of course, can drive it. The 15-inch 2018 or later can drive it. The 16-inch MacBook Pro can drive it. And then the 2019 iMacs can drive it. Or any Mac with a Thunderbolt 3 port using a Blackmagic or Blackmagic Pro eGPU. There is one computer that is suspiciously absent from that list, and it's the iMac Pro. And best I can tell, there are two reasons for this. One, the iMac Pro came out in 2017. It has Thunderbolt 3, but it uses an older Thunderbolt 3 controller. All these other systems use the Titan Ridge Thunderbolt 3 controller. And that's stupid that Intel and Apple didn't change the name. But effectively what it means is the iMac Pro doesn't have either the bandwidth or the video output to drive this display at 6K. And so you could do it with an eGPU, but as it stands today, the iMac Pro can't drive it. Uh, there's also a question about the GPUs. The GPUs and all the other systems end in an X, and maybe that's some sort of uh, mark that they're they're upgraded somehow. But again, the iMac Pro is two years old, so uh, it its GPU apparently is not supported. This makes me this makes me sort of hit start on the countdown to an iMac Pro update because. It, it's a it's been two years, but it seems like this is a, a pairing that would be popular. And I was honestly a little surprised because I had thought about this before that, oh, the iMac Pro, you know, it's two years old. We'll be able to drive it. I was a little surprised we didn't see an iMac Pro update with this. And maybe it's coming soon. And I don't think Intel has parts ready yet, but there are GPUs that will support it. Now, I don't know if Apple can continue to ship the same Xeon parts and and upgrade the, the Thunderbolt 3 controller. I could not find anything useful about that because Intel's website is a disaster. But I, I feel like the iMac Pro is now an update watch for me. And hopefully it is not a one-off because I still think that's possible. Hopefully it's not. But um, if you have an iMac Pro and you wanted a Pro Display XDR, you're out of luck. Do you think there were a lot of people that wanted to do that? I mean, thinking about like Thomas's work environment where they have a bunch of iMac Pros, and you want to drop some of these into editing bays, you can't do it. So, I mean, not many people, but it's the exact people who would be buying this computer. So, oh, at least you can't do it easily. You you need to have the GPU in the middle otherwise. Right, right, uh, which is like its whole other can of worms. So, we will see uh, if that if that iMac Pro update shows up. I hope it does because I think it's a great computer. Yeah, the other computer that's not on here is the iPad Pro. I know that we had heard rumblings that maybe that was going to be a thing, but apparently not. Or at least hoped. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Just for funs, because it would be hilarious to just yeah. go into the Apple Store and plug one in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Pro Display XDR is is a Thunderbolt display. It's using DisplayPort over Thunderbolt. It's not right. USB-C. And then the chat room's asking, if you plug in a different machine, will it run at lower resolution? I do not know that. I've asked and I've not gotten an answer. So maybe that will be known by the time this, this goes up or in the next few days. But I think if you're buying a Pro Display XDR the point is to run it at 6K and not to run it at a lower resolution. So I don't know if anyone would want to do that, even if it's possible. My guess is that it won't work or that Apple basically blocks it in software because they want you to run it at 6K, but I don't know. I find it so funny that the 21 and a half inch iMac can support it, but the iMac Pro can't. I know the internals, but like there's just something funny about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you know, I'm sure some people are frustrated by that, but it's um, that's where things are right now. 
I have a question about, you see, it says like the Mac Pro with the MPX model GPUs. Is it possible to have a Mac Pro that doesn't have those? Well, the base model Mac Pro just comes with a regular video card. Now, whether whether they consider that an MPU module, I don't know. So let's go. Because then, like, do you also have to, like, not every Mac Pro will work with the Pro Display XDR, like you, you have to meet a minimum GPU requirement, which is not the minimum GPU that the Mac Pro. Mm, I see what you're saying. Ships with. Let me see. Uh, while you're saying that, I'll just say there is also a, an article. It's like one of those things. It seems like a fun headline. So a lot of people write about it, but I think it makes perfect sense. For the if you get the nano texture one, so the one where Apple have done that, like the, the matte one, where they've done the weird like glass laser texturing, you can only clean it with a cloth that Apple give you which is like a specific cloth that they've made. I do not... I think that that makes perfect sense. Like, you you shouldn't touch that display. You shouldn't do anything to that display. It's like an incredibly high-end thing. I would only ever want to clean it with a cleaning cloth that came with it, right? Like, <laughs> I can't imagine spending £7,000 right. on a thing and then just getting like some kitchen towel and rubbing on it right like <laughs> right. yeah like geez let let me have the cleaning cloth and i'll keep it in a tiny little box next to the computer right like that's it's like i only clean my glasses with glasses cleaners for the same right. reason sure you know my, my guess is i wrote this in my link to it is that the nano texture would like pull off bits of like regular cleaning cloths and then you have fuzz all like embedded in your display which would be mm-hmm. bad that would yeah that would be great. That would be bad. Well, Winter Charm in the chat, which also makes sense to me, is like if you use something too rough, it could smooth out the nanotexture. Maybe. It's like it's one way or the other, but like just don't touch it. Fuzzy and blurry. <laughs> I have an answer about the, the – so the base GPU in the Mac Pro is the AMD Radeon Pro 580X. Here's what Apple says about it. Uh, that it can drive six 4K displays, two 5K displays, or – two Pro Display XDRs. So the base Mac Pro can drive two of them. So I think when Apple says with an MPX module, maybe they were just having fine print around. If you put a third-party GPU in this... I think that's what it is. It's not going to work. It's not, n- not going to yeah. work. Because so. I figure technically that is possible, right? Like technically yeah. you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. They call the 580X a uh, half-height MPX module. So maybe it has to do with that Thunderbolt port being used, and if the, if it's not in use in a regular GPU, it won't work. So that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because that would have had to been a follow-up. So what is your ideal configuration then? Come on. What it, well, if you were today, if somebody put the money in your hand mm-hmm. and said, here you go, you can buy one, what would it look like? I would buy... Realistically. Uh, I would only change two things from the base model. I would do the 12 core Xeon. I have an eight core iMac Pro now, so part of it is I would want to feel like I had something uh, faster, and I had I'd have the faster RAM, which would be nice. Um, and I would go to the um, either two or four terabyte SSD. I have the one terabyte in my iMac Pro now, and I'm forever running out of space. And that's with two external SSDs that are also filling up. So I would um, I would probably I mean probably go for the four terabyte SSD. 580X is not a great GPU, but um, as far as starting out, like I wouldn't upgrade and, and upgrade at some point in the future if I felt like I needed it. But um, that's where I would go. Yeah, the GPU feels like the thing that's probably the easiest thing to upgrade anyway. You can just go get it, and um, yeah, that's something down the road. I would definitely do Apple Care, which is only two ninety nine on this machine, which 
doesn't seem right. It seems like it should be more expensive. But it, but it's four hundred and ninety nine on the display. On the pro display, which I do understand because I figure the display is probably replacement only in most instances. Yeah, and the they're not combined. So in the past, you could buy Apple Care for your Mac Pro, and it would cover the Apple display if you bought them at the same time. Not true this time. Um, mm-hmm. So that that. SKU that I would build is $8,548. I'm looking at it in a shopping cart right now. So so I, do you want to know what mine would be? Yes, please. So I would do the same. I would do the 12-core uh, GPU. I would I would bump up to 48 gigabytes of RAM because it's like 200 pounds more. I'm already in so deep. I might as well double the RAM for not that much more money compared to the overall machine. Uh, I would do two terabytes of storage because that's what I have in my iMac Pro, and I would put the wheels on it. Yeah, I thought about the wheels a lot. In my studio, where it would sit, it's there's like a rug, and it's kind of um, I don't know how to describe it. It's slippery, like it's not a big like thick carpet. It's like a it's like a rug you see like in a doorway, like coming in and out of a shop or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that because my studio is in the backyard, and basically it's like leaves and stuff coming here. I didn't want something that would get torn up. And so it would actually slide really easily on the feet, I think. I do have a little bit worry about the height, and so the wheels make it taller. Um, so I would do the feet, I think. But, um, yeah, the RAM like and the GPU for my needs, I could – needs. I, I don't need this computer. Like the iMac Pro is enough computer for me. I max out the iMac oh, Pro yeah. uh, on a regular basis, but it's fine. Like I don't – this is not about need – um, Jason, I don't need this computer. I understand that, but um, I, d- I would like to have it. Like it is a desire, a thing that I would like to have because I really like the Mac, and this it would be fun to have the nicest Mac available. And I've never had that before until the iMac Pro. So this is one of those situations where the the uh, exchange rate stuff is so because of the value, right? You're you're at so much money that it's going to be very difficult. So your configuration, right? So it was uh, 12, 12 core and two terabytes, right? They're the only two things you added. That would come out to nine thousand seven hundred seventy-one dollars. Yeah, for me, like because it would be seven thousand four hundred eighteen for me. So it's like a thousand dollars more. It is very expensive, and there's like it's just it's hard to talk about money, right? Like, so it's it's like embarrassing to be considering this. Um, in, in but a I'm way. not. I mean, but you can if you want to. Like, you go ahead and, and consider it. But like, I'm I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah, because because like, I would want the monitor too. That and that and I'm not going to do that. That's uh that's something I want to talk about. So the the reasonable choice is the LG 5K, right? The Pro Display XDR is not – it's so overkill for what I need. It's really expensive. I don't want a 32-inch display. Um, so I'm not considering that at all. I will say, though, I feel like a lot of people poop all over the LG 4K and 5K displays who don't actually have them. So, like, we have a 4K in our house. My wife uses it with her MacBook Air. And you know what? It's not the most beautiful display on the planet. It's a little clunky. The It's ugly in black plastic. The panel is good, though. It's – it is not glass covered, so it's it is shiny, but not like covered in glass shiny. So it's it's a different type of deal, mm-hmm. but it's integrated really well with Mac OS. So the volume and brightness buttons all work. It's got some USB C ports out the back. So I have her Time Machine, and she has a external SSD for her Photos library. Just one cable to plug in her MacBook Air. 
it's not ideal. I wish Apple would basically take the iMac or, you know, or take the Pro Display XDR design, even if you don't need all the fans and stuff, make a 5K 27-inch version and put it on sale. And I think it would – I think people – like developers or anyone not a video editor looking at this computer would buy that in a heartbeat. I don't understand mm-hmm. why it's not for sale now. I I think Apple's clearly aware the Pro Display is not for everybody, and I think they understand that they've left a hole in the market. So maybe it's coming, maybe it's not. But the 5K LG, yeah, it's not awesome. It's not beautifully Apple-crafted aluminum. John Syracuse can't sit in front of it, but it's a good panel, and it's the best thing out there if you want to use it with Mac OS, because it has the integration and it's something that I could put on my desk. And yeah, if they release something nicer, it'd be tempting, but it doesn't spoil the rest of the system for me. Like it, like some people seem so allergic to it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people haven't had actual time with it. Like the 4k that my wife has is, is great. And she wanted the smaller size. I offered her the 27 5k and she wanted where her desk is. Like she just wanted something a little smaller. It's a totally fine display. So I, I think that you can, do the Mac Pro and put the LG on it and you're not spoiling it somehow. I think that notion's a little bit silly. Yeah, I think like just in this fantasy world where I would spend that kind of money on buying one, my kind of thinking would be like the the thing that I purchased that I like and is cool sits under the desk. Yeah. And then I'm looking at a monitor which isn't as cool. Sure. But And there is a matching cool monitor and I think it would bother me too much. Yeah, that's what it's like. Super wild, right? And again, like I am not justifying that money, right? Because like the, the the in no world should a monitor cost as much as the computer that I'm pairing it with. Mm-hmm. Like that just seems madness. But it's just like I can see how people get into that situation where like if you're dead set on buying one, and there is like this matching screen, it just is like ah, it's just upset. Yeah, well, it's I mean the Pro Displays are tips Apple's hand that this is a system designed for video editing, right? Like that is their, and maybe that's the makeup of the pro workflow team. Maybe it's that that's, you know, they have data saying that's a really big audience. You know, Apple does have, has said that their biggest pro market is developers. This is not a computer for developers. It's a computer for video editing. And that's, that's its primary purpose. I think that's definitely the, at the very least, that's the narrative Apple's telling about it because everyone who got one Mm -hmm is a video editor. They didn't give one of these to someone writing an iOS app. I think that's telling. They didn't give it to photographers. They gave it to people making video. And Yeah, they don't have an afterburner card for Xcode. Right, right. It, it's, uh, <laughs> and SwiftUI could probably use it because it seems like SwiftUI is very difficult to develop with. So we can, ar- we can have that argument about who this computer's for, who Apple had in mind. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Pro Display XDR is the biggest sign that this is not necessarily a computer for people like me and you. It's not necessarily a computer for developers. It's not even a computer for enthusiasts because it's too expensive for that sort of market. Now, was that the right call? I don't know. Time will tell. I think if Apple has a 5K display at WWDC that matches this in design but is way less expensive, then maybe they've they've got the message. And so I want to make it clear from my point of view that Apple should have a less expensive display that doesn't have all the nits and the, all the color stuff. Like, make a nice display, hollow out an iMac, put a Thunderbolt port in the back of it, and call it a day. Whether we see it or not, it's a different story. But uh, that's you know who this who this computer is for. 
the display says a lot about, I think. This is uh this is sometimes on the show we buy things. That's not happening today. Um Oh, oh come on. It's, come it's, on. It's, it's come on. I have it in a cart, but I'm 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 walking away. You have it in the cart? What'd you put it in the cart for? Because I wanted to see it with tax and everything. So I wanted to you can check out with Apple Pay. That's a very expensive Apple Pay purchase. Um, that is. wouldn't work. Remove. Surely. No, no. This is a deal where, like, you have to call your bank because they lock your card instantly. But yeah. um, Yes. You know, people have asked me what I'm going to do. I'm not doing it right now. Uh, I want to see how it goes. And my iMac Pro has a home if it if I do this, which uh, helps offset the price, obviously. But, um, you know, I don't. I feel like I'm in violation of Snell's law. Like, this is something that I, that I am not doing out of need. But... You know, he'll settle down. John Voorhees, any uh, any closing words uh, on the Mac Pro from you? Not on the Mac Pro, but I just want to give an update. I think Federico has fallen asleep. <laughs> you know, he's oh, got to take his power naps. Yeah, I woke him up. I'm sorry. Well, John, thanks for joining us. Sure, no problem. You're staying with your Mac Mini setup. It sounds like you're not you're not pulling the trigger. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I Mac Pro is not in my future at all. I mean, I'm really happy with my Mini. It's been really the best Mac I've had in a while. I was not that happy with, like a lot of people, with my MacBook Pro, and uh, I'm still weird. using that. It's <laughs> Yeah, I brought it with me to Rome, but it, and I'll use it when I'm on the road, but the Mini is my day-to-day Mac, and I love it a lot. Yeah, it's solid, and if you, if you don't need a lot of GPU performance, because it just has integrated Intel graphics, the Mac Mini's awesome. Right. You know, I think, I think if you're a developer where you're mostly using CPU, like a loaded Mac Mini is a much better choice budget-wise. And I figure too, I can always use an eGPU if I wanted to with that box, yeah. you know, with the Mac Mini. I, I don't really have the need for that right now, but it's good to know that I've got it there if I want it. So I, you know, I've I've keep I've been keeping my eye on those to see what what the options are, but no plans on buying that either right now. Okay, I just wanted to check in. So you're my, uh, I think you're my closest friend running a Mac Mini full time. Like I've got one, but it's a home server. So it's a little bit different. And Mike has one that is a home server, but you're you're using it every day. And Federico has one, but he's not my friend. No, and, and he doesn't use it every single yeah, day it's, either. It's, it's just for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, John, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. If you're not following John online, John, where can people find you real quick before we let you go? At, they can find me at maxstories.net writing, and I'm at John Voorhees on Twitter and Instagram. This episode of Connected is also brought to you by Bombas. The holidays are here. Maybe you're getting that holiday gift shopping done, and uh, super comfortable Bombas socks should be on your list. I've got a, a several pairs of Bombas socks. I've got a, Most of mine are the low-cut ones, but I recently picked up some uh, like warmer ones that come up higher for winter. You know, it gets cold. You don't want your ankles to be cold. I'm not cool anymore, so it's fine. And Bombas socks are excellent. They look good. They're comfortable. They're holding up really well, and I've just really been really been happy with them. The Bombas mission goes a lot further than comfort, though. Socks are the number one requested item at homeless shelters, and that's why for every pair that you buy, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. So you can do your holiday gift shopping and know you're doing some good in the world, too. That's super cool. Bombas socks are built with extra cushioning, so whether you're walking the dog, chilling at home, carrying a Mac Pro around, you'll be comfortable. They provide support in places you didn't even know you needed, like your arches. In fact, each sock is built with a special arch support system, it's not too tight. It's not going to constrict your foot, but it really makes a big difference. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that annoying toe seam that socks have, you know, they rub you the wrong way, just the wrong place. 
Uh, Bombus got rid of that ridge. They've, <laughs> they've come up with a new way to make socks stay together, and they're, so they're smooth across the top of your foot and much more comfortable. Sock innovation, Stephen. Sock innovation. Sock innovation. That's what they're about. You can stock up on socks for everything: dress socks for work, performance socks for working out, limited edition holiday socks, which is a lot of fun. Bombus is a gift that everyone will love. Visit bombus.com slash connected to get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash connected for 20% off. Bombus.com slash connected. Our thanks to Bombus for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Federico, are you back? Yes, I'm back. I I I was following really carefully mm-hmm. the entire conversation. I bought an, a Mac Pro in, in the meantime. Wow. Oh, we influenced you. Yeah. Do, do you think that I bought one during that segment? Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> I did not. He's probably returned it already, though. Yeah, he's probably bought two of them because then he got to figure it out. And he's going to break one of them because that's what he does. Drop it down the stairs. Federico, yeah. I, have, I have a piece of Mac Pro-related content for you specifically. <laughs> Please do share. I have done a complete flip on the Mac Pro and Cybertruck. You have seen the light? <laughs> so now that I've seen pictures of the Cybertruck in the real world, I hate it. <laughs> and now that I'm seeing the Mac Pro in the real world, I've come to like the design. Right? So I have done yes. a complete flip on both of those things. That uh, the the staged photos of the Mac Pro or like in a in a like stage environment, I didn't like it. Um, and in the stage environment, I kind of was interested in the Cybertruck. But now, like, there's those pictures of Elon, like, driving around in a car park and he drove over a traffic cone or whatever. <laughs> it just looks... In, in around other cars, it is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. On its own, I still think it's got a coolness to it. But, like, in a movie prop kind of way, um, when you see it in the real world, it just it doesn't work. But with the Mac Pro... I think in an office or whatever, or like in a cool studio, Mac Pro looks awesome. Uh, but I, when it was just like on its own on a plinth or in a video, I didn't like mm-hmm. it. So that, that's the, where I am with those. I'm very pleased to hear this. I think the Mac Pro in, in real life office setups, it commands a certain attention yes. that really makes it stand out. And you can tell like it's one of those objects that you can tell at a glass at a glance, oh, this is expensive and powerful like you can just tell the cyber truck you look at it and you and you see well this is the, like a combination of all human evil in the form of Where a car like, oh so well like, i guess i guess the police are taking over i suppose yeah, is what's yeah happening. It's, it's like a futuristic yeah. police car um, it looks too scary it's too intimidating look I don't like it's it. it's i think the cyber truck info uh, i really do believe the the most acceptable use case will be as a police vehicle it's perfect for that it's intimidating it's big and bulky and it can probably go fast and you throw you a can, lot of criminals in the back you can throw a lot of criminals in the back <laughs> like come on guys let's go to the station uh yeah the sta- sure <laughs> so oh boy yeah it's gonna be perfect for that mm-hmm. um now uh the topic today is not the cyber truck uh unfortunately i would love to talk more about that but it's not um today so i created a reminder in in the reminders app for this months ago I don't remember how I remembered, but it was there today. Today marks the fifth anniversary of the launch of Workflow. 
on the App Store. Five years ago, December 11, 2014, workflow. After like a 12-year beta period. After a year-long <laughs> beta period. Yeah. So Ari and, uh, and Conrad and, and the rest of the team, very famously, they had a teaser uh, for workflow for the app that would eventually become Workflow. I believe they showed it off at a hackathon or something, mm -hmm. and they were like 14 or 15. That was in 2014, January 2014. January. And so they, they, show, they show off this app at this, at this hackathon, and a bunch of people on Twitter are sending me this video and this link like, hey, have you seen this? This is incredible. And John and I were just talking about it, actually. When I first saw that demo, I thought it was fake. I thought because it was the video is super weird. I'm looking at it now, and it's like yes. it's like all warped and stuff. I don't know yes. what it's like. It's like some weird optical image stabilization thing, which makes it look like it's like After Effects. Yeah, it, it looks very strange, and it looks like one of those jailbreak utilities. Yes, and I remembered getting in touch with those guys and saying, um, the, "You know, I think it's awesome, but if it, if this is a jailbreak thing, I'm afraid I don't want to use it because I don't jailbreak my phone anymore." Yeah, and I remember Ari saying, "No, no." This is all native Apple APIs, and we're basically taking inspiration from Automator for the Mac, and we're doing a version for for iOS. And I thought that was crazy, and I thought, you know, these kids, maybe they, they have this idea. Apple is never going to approve them. Let's see what they do, and let's see what happens. Of course, they go silent, and silly me, I thought, yeah, of course, you know, the idea, the idea didn't work out. They're never going to do workflow. Then at some point in, in July of 2014, I got, an, I got an email from Ari saying, um, so I don't know if you remember, uh, we sent you a demo, a proof of concept of workflow a few months ago, and we're now ready to have a beta. And so I think it was August 2014 that I got the first beta of workflow. And they, you know, they needed a, they, they went through a bit of a, a bit of a, <laughs> issue with Apple, the rocky rocky start of the relationship because the app wasn't getting approved. It was supposed to launch at some point in September or October, but it launched in December. Now, I was looking back through my review of Workflow 1.0, and I think it's, it's really remarkable to see just how much of the foundation of the app that is now called Shortcuts was already right there in Workflow. Because if you look past the UI changes, which, by the way, the app kind of looked better than all the buttons <laughs> looked like buttons. Like that. <laughs> I don't want to be one of... Look, um, I don't want to be one of those people. The composer looks way better. The composer looks way better. It's so much more cleaner. I do like the natural language editor, of iOS 13, but man, those variables and the fact that the variables have a blue background and the blue background blends in with another blue background, that's horrible design. Like, who came up with that? Anyway, um, besides the visual aspect, it's really incredible just how much was already right there. So, like, conditional blocks and repeat blocks. But really, at the core of it, the editor design and the idea of taking system features and exposing them as steps, as actions. And at the very core of Workflow was the Content Graph engine, which Shortcuts is still using today. So the reason why you can put together a shortcut, and whether you're dealing with a photo or a URL, and if you put an action after that, 
that requires a specific type of file, you don't have to care about that. Shortcuts takes care of the entire conversion for you. That engine is still in Shortcuts today, and it's grown more powerful, of course, but it's still right there. It's the content graph. It's part of the reason, uh, you know, part of the technologies that Apple bought and brought along with Workflow and turned into Shortcuts. Uh, All of that was already right there in the first version of Workflow. And of course, you know, the app has changed a lot over the years uh, since they became an Apple product. Uh, the Siri integration and, you know, automation this year, uh, they've been able to do things that they were probably never going to be able to do if they stayed independent. Um, Maybe they would have gone a different route with Workflow. Maybe if they hadn't been acquired, they would have gone the web service and subscription route. Maybe Workflow would have become like the new Zapier for iOS, you know, entirely web-based and web-based actions. Maybe they would have done what Pushcut is doing today with notifications and subscriptions and all that stuff. But instead, with you know, going with Apple allowed them to dig even deeper into the system and, and come up with these new system hooks, which is why, you know, thinking about it five years on, like what's next for shortcuts. And I do believe that more than ever, we need to see what happens. And I, in fact, I believe, Mike, you talked about this with Jason maybe two weeks ago on Upgrade. Um, the first year of the transition from workflow to shortcuts, we saw the Siri integration and the Siri shortcuts, and that was that was fine. But then we saw this year the new editor and the new natural language uh, approach to building, you know, putting together actions and automation and some new system integrations. But it feels like this first couple of years was really the shortcuts team getting their affairs in order and building or maybe sort of rebuilding the foundation of the app to make sure that it works better with iOS. But I feel like now it's time to build upon it and to build new stuff. And automation is a first step, but there's so much more that they can do. Like every, and we mentioned this before on the show, every Apple action, every Apple app should have shortcut actions. Like if it's an iOS feature, it should also be a shortcut action. And there's still so much more on iOS and iPadOS that is not integrated with shortcuts. And so... I just wanted to mention this anniversary on the show. While Siri just dictated all that I said on my watch. <laughs> the, Perfect. The, the shortcuts team, they're looking out for you. They want to know what's going on. It is actually a pretty accurate dictation, but at the end it said, I'm sorry. It's okay, It's all right. You can uh, activate yourself every once in a while. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's remarkable what the short, what the workflow team was able to do as an independent company. I think it was a uh, well maybe it's too soon to tell to tell right now, but I think it was a good idea to go with Apple because you know we have the third party shortcuts utilities today, the web based the notification stuff. I think if workflow stayed independent and went in that direction, we. I think we were better off with this solution, with shortcuts becoming... They would have been distracted. They would have had to have made it a profitable business in the long run, right? Like, that was yeah. going to be difficult for them. Not, not it's difficult. It's, it's That is a difficult thing to maintain, right? Like, it takes a lot of work, and maybe they are better placed focusing on the 
product inside of Apple than they would be trying to create a product which is uh, useful to investors or to customers. My big question for the next five years, right, of shortcuts, I guess I want to see what Apple is going to do in terms of like, what's the real direction for the app, for the app here? Because it feels like on one hand, Apple wants to push this idea of shortcuts for the masses so everybody can use shortcuts. And you see, you know, the simplification of the editor and the natural language UI for actions and parameters and automation and this idea that shortcuts is more than features for power users. But on the other hand, I have to wonder, like, just how many so-called regular people are actually using shortcuts? And so should maybe Apple double down on the power user aspect of it and say, look, we get it, shortcuts is used by power users, and so we're going to make it a professional app for everybody. Or maybe they can do both at the same time, though I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of, is this going to be simplified more and more as time goes on and it becomes this uh, system feature to build automations for HomeKit and for your Apple Watch and for Siri, that kind of stuff? Or is Apple going to get back to saying, look, um, we need to do we need to do more power user features uh, like we used to before, like the workflow team used to, be, used to before? Because if you think about it, it's been a while since we got you know, real power user actions and features in shortcuts, you know? All the the scripting actions, for example, that we have today in shortcuts, they were, most of them really, 90% of them, they were built by the workflow team. They weren't built by Apple. They were carried over by Apple, but not built by shortcuts as an Apple product. So I want to see what direction Apple goes with for the next five years. I... I feel pretty optimistic at the moment, though, you know, it, things can always change. And we've seen Apple try, you know, these experiments for the for a couple of years and then sort of forget about them and be like, yeah, we tried, didn't really work out. So uh, the fact that it's a built-in app inspires confidence. This, the fact that uh, it's so integrated with Siri inspires confidence. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. But I want to see what happens in terms of, you know, now that we've redone the editor and now that we have Siri integration and now that we have parameters, what's next? So that's that'll be my question for the next uh, next year and beyond. That's sort of the the opposite of how I felt in the beginning. I was worried early on that it was like, oh, this is doing like weird edge case stuff and Apple's just going to shut them down. Right. And I was hesitant to to trust workflow for a lot of stuff early in those early days, like. I don't want to build a whole system in here and then it get, you know, killed from on high because we you know, we've seen that over the years and that fear to your point has been totally taken away now that it's a system app and now it's all your concerns. Will Apple continue continue to push it forward? Will they, you know, have bug fixes on a regular basis? All those sort of Apple app questions have replaced those early fears for me. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Five years of uh, workflow. Uh, congrats to the team who actually made it happen. And, you know, I, I didn't believe it at the time and I'm glad I was wrong. And now I guess uh, best of luck for the next five years. Um, we uh, I think we're all curious to see what happens. Um, so I'm optimistic, but also you never know with Apple. So we'll see. 
Well, I think that does it for this week. Uh, if you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 273. While, the, while you're there, you can get in touch. There's an email link where you can find us on Twitter. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E. You can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And you can follow me there as I-S-M-H. Special thanks to our guest, uh, John Voorhees, and to our sponsors, Squarespace, ExpressVPN, and Bombas. Until next time, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Adios.